Previously on Cinemonides. We're going to be talking about The Wall by Pink Floyd. There's our Pink Floyd connection. Zach, have you ever seen The Wall? Is that the cover that looks like uh, the T-1000? <laughs> no, no maybe? Like, one, I'm thinking of which cover you're thinking of, and two, I just want to say no. Like, you talk about T-1000, like the Terminator, right? Yeah, like he's like melting in like the, the, the steel mill. No... Okay, I'm looking it up right now. The here. original cover, the original yep, yep, album. Yep, 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 yep. It's, it's, it's a T-1000. Yep, okay, okay send this I'm gonna, to me. I'm, I'm send this to me back. right now. I need to see what the hell you're talking about. What reminds you of the T-1000? <laughs> Rob and Zach. This is a podcast about cinematic oddities where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Zach. And I'm Rob. And this week on Cinemodities, we are continuing our visual album series with, I don't think Zach knows this. Something that is technically not a visual album. So, Zach, I guess I'm saying right off the bat, I lied to you. <laughs> Again! Just like, just like Perfect Hair Forever, the last series you gave me some control over was not foreign animation. This is technically not something I would consider a visual album. Uh, just to kind of put that in perspective, Odd Sack, uh, the music was created for those visuals they go together and i think we said in that episode you can only get those two things together yellow submarine that beatles album is the soundtrack for that movie that album was created for that film it is an actual fact that pink floyd's the wall the album came out in 1979 it was a, a pretty big success and after its success pink floyd was approached and then they asked if they wanted to make a movie centered around the album. So this is actually considered a film based on an album rather than a visual album. It's a subtle distinction. It's a very subtle distinction, Zach. But uh, I, I knew I had to come clean about lying to you. Otherwise, you were going to find out from somebody else it was going to be terrible. So can you forgive me yet again? <sighs> <laughs> I think I think uh, I think I've hurt Zach. I think I've yes. I've, I've uh, got two strikes out of three. <laughs> He's betraying my trust. No, but here's the thing. Here's the thing, everybody. To Zach and everybody listening, even though this is technically not a visual album, I think it is the most cohesive pairing of music and visuals that we've gotten so far in this series and in this podcast. I'm going to say right off the bat, I love this movie i love everything about it the music the story the the visuals the animation that we get to see in it the way that everything pairs together it's great i think i mentioned it at the end of our last episode i'm going to ask it again 
Zach, is this the first time you saw the wall? Yes. All right. Would you mind giving me and our audience a little history, maybe your history with Pink Floyd, if there is any? <laughs> yes, it, it, you're going to love it. In 2007, I found the song Comfortably Numb. That's it? That's it. Oh, okay. That's uh, it. Uh, that's uh, it. That's that's the only Pink Floyd <laughs> song I knew I, I listened to before this. Well, I guess that's pretty cool because Comfortably Numb is from this album. So you got to hear it again, right? <laughs> yes, I, that's the one I was waiting for. Somebody, I was waiting for like, okay, when we get to this part. Nice. So how, how, did you, down. how did you come about Comfortably Numb, I guess, would be my, my follow-up question. Well, like, it's through a movie. Oh, okay. The Departed, that was one of the songs on the soundtrack during the summer of 2011. Oh. During the summer of 2007, The Departed was like one of those movies that just kind of like blew my mind. And that was part of the soundtrack when uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is, I don't know if he's seducing uh, Vera Farmiga, and that's a place. Okay, I never would have remembered that. I've seen The Departed a good bit, man. The only thing, or maybe not the only thing, but one of the things I will forever remember about The Departed is the first time I saw it, I watched it with my dad. And as soon as the credits began to roll, my dad said, I've never seen so many people get shot in the head. <laughs> <laughs> That was his Spoiler comment alert. directly after the movie. Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, a million people get shot in the head, just so everybody knows. Spoiler a for the A million spoiler alerts. But that is, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, Zach. That's interesting. That That's how you found it. Uh, it's a great song, Comfortably Numb. And that was my transition into my history with Pink Floyd, my father. I would, I would bet anything that anybody, Zach even, if you went to my dad and you were like, hey, Rob's dad... What's your favorite band? He would say, yes. That is actually what his answer would be, because his favorite band is 100% the progressive rock band from the 1950s and 1960s. Yes! And he loves that joke. If you went, in on, if you went on and asked him his second favorite band, I bet you he would say, Pink Floyd. My dad has had the great fucking honor of actually seeing Pink Floyd, all four of them, in person. Back in Madison Square Garden the day, and I will forever be jealous of that. But he passed on his great love of Pink Floyd, progressive rock, uh, you know, heady type of music onto me. And even though he passed on his love of music, of this music to me, we did not watch The Wall together when I was young. So I've told Zach before, but I think I'll say it for our audience the first time. I was like nine years old, and my dad was like, we're watching Halloween. The original Halloween. Like, just one night, he was like, this is your introduction to horror movies. We're watching, you know, The Shape. And it scared the shit out of me. And he was just, he kind of made me watch that, as far as I'm concerned. And then I think about a year later, I remember when my dad, like, got the wall on VHS. Like, he actually bought it on VHS. They wouldn't let me watch it. My parents <laughs> wouldn't let me watch the wall. So, I... I don't know if this is because I got so scared of Halloween, but the wall is not scary. I really, to this day, don't understand why my parents wouldn't let me watch the wall. So even though I love this music and I would listen to it with my dad, they wouldn't let me watch this movie. And so fast forward to about the same time I was doing hallucinogenics and not remembering the yellow submarine, the wall was in that rotation as well. And it was about the time in undergrad that I first watched the wall, and I think I watched it a good bit, and I certainly liked it. I was Pink Floyd, I loved the music, but I very distinctly remember asking one of my friends 
you know, what do you think the wall is? Like, what's the metaphor? Like, what, like, what are they going for? I have no idea what he said in response. I do not remember that at all, but I remember, <laughs> I remember asking the question. So anyway, fast forward, I might've watched the wall once since my undergrad, but I watched it for this recording last Friday night, which is a few days ago, and I loved it. I was blown away by how much I loved the wall. So I decided to watch it again the next night. And I watched it again the following night. And then I listened to it today. He's watching it right now as we're talking. I can see the reflection in his glasses. I I should be watching it right now. Because uh, Zach started this Skype conversation before I had the chance to finish listening to The Wall today. So there we go. That's my long-winded way of saying I absolutely love this movie. And we're going to get into why, because I have tons of stuff I want to talk about with it. But since Zach has such little history with Pink Floyd, he likes Comfortably Numb, apparently. This is the first time he's seen it. Please drop on us, Zach. What did you think? Uh, <laughs> it's, love- it's, it's definitely a Rob's choice. It's, it's firmly within that pantheon. Yet, at the same time, I was not like th- I get why Rob likes this, and I think we kind of at the end of every episode we talk about what kind of snack we eat with this. I think we're going to have to start doing maybe as a preliminary for the following movie that we're going to be talking about. Um, what sort of drugs you need? <laughs> I, I feel certain ro- movies that Rob or certain media that Rob presents me with, it's like, oh, if you took the following drugs, you your appreciation of this movie would be enhanced tenfold <laughs> and i have a feeling that's kind of what i'm missing out on like there's kind of like this like a uh, lens that i'm not able to kind of perceive the movie on that kind of uh takes away from my enjoyment of it because okay. as i was okay. as i was watching this i'm not like i said i as i was listening to this the only I, I obviously on top of comfortably numb the only other song that i recognized was the we dun 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 another brick Chick- in the wall Yes, yes. I, I, I've heard that song before. I had no idea it was Pink Floyd. No idea. Okay, I think that uh, I don't remember if it made it into our Yellow Submarine episode or if I even brought it up, but I, I have certainly lived situations where people have been like, oh yeah, I'll, with a little help from my friends, I know that song, but they don't know it's the Beatles. Same thing here. Everybody knows we don't need no education. The kids' choir singing that. I feel like that is an iconic piece of music. And it's so iconic that some people don't know it's Pink Floyd. And Zach, you were one of them. But now you know. The more you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. So, so, so yeah, you so see why I like my it. preliminary thoughts on it. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess something before we get into it, before we have the, some of the things I want to talk about. How did you feel about the length? Because Odd Sack, I remember you were like, you know, this went by faster than I thought it would. And I think Yellow Submarine, that never really came up because we had so many other things to think about. What did you think about this one watching it? This one is about, you know, 30 minutes longer than Odd Sack, maybe even 40 minutes longer. Um, how did you feel about that length? Did you ever feel like it slowed down? Did it keep the pace? What are, what are your thoughts? Uh, for the first half of it, I was kind of, I, I, was, I was intrigued by it. And then it was about halfway through when you start getting to the um, intercourse flowers that I kind of sat there and went, okay. The sex I, I, scene. <laughs> yeah, the sex scene with the flowers. And I'm like, okay, I know what this is going for now. And I'm like, fine, whatever. And like, and I kind of, not that I checked out, but I kind of like, okay, this, this isn't for me. This isn't my cup of tea. Like, it's weird. Again, this is weird. 
And but the problem is the thing about weird is that it's hard to sustain weird for a long period of time. Okay, see, I'm having I'm having the, the thought that a lot of the stuff that you are saying when you say weird, are you specifically referring to the visuals? Or are you thinking of the vocals? Because I'm thinking right now, this being kind of your first experience with Pink Floyd. The singer of Pink Floyd, well, one of the singers who sings a lot on this album because he wrote most of it, Roger Waters, he has a very, very unique voice. And I'm thinking that maybe some of the weirdness that you're getting is his voice pairing with some of this stuff. Am I am I off base in saying that? Uh, no, actually, I, I know Roger Waters. Like I said, I've, I've been familiar with Comfortably Numb for over a decade. So like, well, I, I mean, I, I, I mean there's, there's Comfortably Numb where he's singing a melody... And then there's something voice. like the I, trial where he's like doing all these different voices and stuff like that, you know? Nah, I'm I'm like uh, most of my thing is based off the visuals because, like you said, this was this came afterwards. This was not something that was paired with at the time. Yes. Even though like, I, I did a little bit of research on this, and it's hard to discern how much. Again, it seemed like Roger Waters had his hands in the creative element of this early on. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, he got frustrated or the, 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 the filmmakers or the creative said, eh, keep him away from us. We don't want like what he's doing. And he disowned this. But at the same time, he li- there's certain elements of his life here, but not really. And no, the mu- the mu- that's the weird thing about the music too. Is I don't, going back to Yellow Submarine, I don't like it when they take these uh, of music and then afterwards saying, okay, how can we repackage this to make more money? Mm-hmm. You know, this might have came from a much more creative place than the yellow submarine did. Yes. This is definitely, again, it's weird. A lot of it's just weirdness for the sake of weirdness. Again, you can play, I can comfortably numb is obviously about drugs and just it's, it's, it's there yet you play. I don't even remember what the visuals they have over comfortably numb, but that's just, when I'm pretty sure that's when he's like, he finds the the injured rat and he takes it home to his mother and the mother's like, "Don't bring that in here." So he takes it to a barn and he like tries to take care of it, but it dies and he like whips it in the water. But yeah, it, it's I, like spliced back and forth of shots when he's a kid doing that, taking care of this animal, and it's him like just passed out because he you know is overdosing to some extent, overdosing, you know, sitting in his apartment or penthouse, and his like manager and stuff are all around him trying to revive him. We're going to get into this, Zach. We're going to get into this, Zach. Because you're saying, you know, weirdness for the sake of weird. I honestly feel in these last four days, I finally got this movie. And we'll talk about that, okay? I feel you like be I, the first one because according to the internet, nobody, a lot of people still have not cracked this. I finally, this movie, like, touched me in a good way the last three times I watched it in the last four days. And I'm very happy about that. But we will get into that. I have some other Pink Floyd things I would like to touch upon before we hone in to this specific um, visual album or film based on an album. So something that I think is really cool that Zach does not know. Um, the road manager. So bands have road managers. The people who you know kind of are the executive in charge of making sure everything goes smoothly when a band has to travel from city to city to play shows. The band's road manager performed some of the screams and laughs that are in the songs Brain Damage and Speak to Me on Dark Side of the Moon, which is a different Pink Floyd album. I don't know. I'm sure Zach has heard some of those songs, but you know that's never got a visual album or a movie based on it, unfortunately. So there's some really, really famous vocal clips. So for anyone who doesn't know, I think Zach is in this group. 
uh, Dark Side of the Moon is filled with all these little great vocal clips. And Pink Floyd spent a lot of time sampling different people and finding the right clips and finding the right people to say them and doing tons and tons of takes to get these really specific sounds of people speaking very lightly in the background of their songs. And they got their road manager, road manager to do these laughs and these screams for one part or two parts of these songs. The lunatic is in my head. <laughs> the lunatic is in my head. Their road manager is none or was none other than Peter Watts, the father of Naomi Watts. How oh. cool! How cool is that? We got a connection to David Lynch. We got a connection to Book of Henry right there. Look at that. That's, I love that fact. That might be the first thing we've ever come across that I would say is a fun fact. Where does it tie into the Dean Norris universe? Oh, um, oh, oh, probably through the Book of Henry, right? Like through that degrees of separation, you know? <laughs> like Naomi Watts' father was on, was on the Pink Floyd road manager and on an album. And Dean Norris, you know, was someone that she almost killed. Who knows? Who knows? I'm not ready for that. You're asking the real question, Zach, but I'm not ready. I'm not ready to, to do the whole connected universe right now. <laughs> Rob's not prepared. I'm, I mean, I'm prepared for specific things. <laughs> so that's a, that's a fun fact. I had to get that out of the way. So the other thing I wanted to say is I brought it up in our Beatles Yellow Submarine episode. Um, Pink Floyd being possibly one of those, you know, titans of rock. And I, I remember Zach pitched Queen, the Beatles, and Led Zeppelin. And I was saying that possible switch would be Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. And you know what? I think since we have talked about that, I, I would have to say that I, I would make that switch. I agree with you on the Beatles and Queen. But I think Pink Floyd, in terms of concerts, in terms of you know ticket sales, in terms of album sales, they were huge. And I think that, you know, maybe seeing this album, knowing Comfortably Numb, uh, you know, We Don't Need No Education, seeing that, you're kind of getting more of that sense. You know, maybe you, Zach, have just been kind of in this weird, no non-Pink Floyd bubble for a long time. Are you, are you feeling that way at all? I'm in a no Pink Floyd bubble? Yeah, that you're kind of realizing Pink Floyd is, uh, is more expansive than you. No, I've always, I know how impactful they've been. Okay. Okay. Um, as of like I said, I, I listen to I obviously listen to the soundtrack of this and other things. Um, I don't know. I'm basing it more off the cultural resonance. How many years later? I, like we've already joked, you can find the uh, Dark Side of the Moon child uh, toddler attire at Target. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I guess resonance. I guess I'm just you know the the Led Zeppelin. That was the thing that stuck in my brain that you put Led Zeppelin up there, and I, I've kind of been racking my my own well, brain about them think, versus Pink Floyd. Well, I'd still lean, again. I'm not the music person. Uh, cue Zach's music choice here. Rob's lucky we're running out of time slots. So we discussed, like, there was like 15 S Club TV movies. I think we, I saw we, one of them back in the day. <laughs> oh my god, we need to talk about an S Club movie. Um, Any one of them is they go back in time to like a 50s nostalgia cafe and have a dance off. Um, anyway, though, so no, but like you think about like Pink Floyd music, whether it be like you listen to like classic rock stations or even like movie trailers, you will hear Cashmere a hundred times more yeah. than you will. 
uh, Pink Floyd. And I think that's because Led Zeppelin also has a much more commercial sound. Mm, immigrant song. Immigrant song, yeah, you can't skip yeah. that. Well, that, that, that comes and goes. And that's covered a lot more than you ever... You don't hear the original of that. That's covered a lot now. Mm, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's uh, a, I think there's a, like a YouTube video of a, like a, someone with a dinosaur hand puppet where he changes the lyrics of, lyrics of Immigrant Song to be about cocaine. You ever see that? No. Oh, it's it's I that that might deserve a clip in here. It's pretty crazy. <laughs> Rightfully so. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I feel you. I yeah, feel that's, you. That's that's, that's where I'm getting. I know I've always been aware of Pink Floyd. It's not like it's like like Rob's like we're going to talk about the wall, and I'm like, wait, what? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But no, I I, I get where you're coming from more. You that commercial aspect because that's well, what you're seeing all the time. Well, we're going even going back to what Rob was saying with his parents, and much like the intro to this show that Rob hasn't heard yet, but I'm going to put in after the fact is <laughs> that is that. I was aware of the wall, like uh, VHS DVD cover art, because I always thought it was the T one thousand. I'm like, yeah. I always thought, because like, it looked like the T one thousand, like at the end of Terminator two, like like um, melting into the uh, steel mill. And so <laughs> I, 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 I've always been aware of it, like not in name, but like in cover art only. Yeah, yeah, in in some form. Yeah, yeah. I remember like going through like when I was younger, Sam Goody, and he'd like, like they have like a whole section for like music DVDs and like VHSs, mm-hmm. and I saw that and like you see that, and that was just the first thing that came to my mind. So no, I've been aware of this. Sure, it's just the first time I've actually ever experienced it, and I, I, I Pink Floyd, I like Comfortably Numb. I like the uh, We Don't Need Any Education song. I still don't know the title <laughs> of it. I'm gonna keep calling it that. Another brick in the wall. <laughs> keep saying it. I'm not gonna say it. Oh god, and that's, that's and that's what it is though. It's just I, I maybe it's part of the thing too, where you kind of have a thing. People, have, uh, not people, but other art has borrowed from this, considering yes. that it's over thirty five years old. Certainly, other media has stolen from it, mm-hmm. and that doesn't help help it at all. Maybe like as I was watching this, I didn't really think much of it was uh, derivative or or I've seen uh, other elements. I guess Rob said we'll get into the specifics of it later on, though. But no, it was. I don't know. It's just I, I, I didn't really have. I can. There's certain, there's certain parts of it I enjoyed, but overall, meh. It's like I, I, I was not thrilled with. It. Okay, okay. You need, you need the, um, the years of percolation that I've had to fully appreciate it, Zach. I think that's what's going on. But you're saying <laughs> I need, I need to go back in time, give my parents a copy of it, and have them not let me watch it. I mean, <laughs> well, that, I mean, the whole, but the whole, you know, being like, I watched an undergrad on drugs and didn't get it and then watched it kind of now on, on fewer drugs and got it. You need that percolation, you know, like the spirited away. How many times have you watched spirited away? You up to a thousand yet? Not enough. Okay. You got to get just rotation, just like constantly spirited away. Uh, this, what else? You know what else, Zach? You got a list, right? It's like 15 different things I'm watching all at once. (laughs) I have like 18 TVs in my house that are running all these things simultaneously. (laughs) Yeah, you got the TV for the new stuff. Okay, good. Well, right on, right on. So, interesting, interesting, interesting point to take. Um, There, this is a longer visual album, so I was thinking of that. I'm not that surprised that you know 
some songs didn't stand out to you because I think something about this film and the way that the music is worked in is that sometimes it's difficult to understand where one song ends and another begins. And I also think that's a feature of the actual album, the original album, The Wall, that all the songs connect to some extent. Of course, in in this movie, there's points where there's no music and just people talking, and you kind of get the sense of, you know, there's a transition going on. But a lot of the songs, you know, just match up right next to each other and things like that. They all kind of blend together. I think it's beautiful. Zach just, you know... Needs like an S Club no, Seven well, cover. Well, like I've said before, I can differentiate between my personal taste and whether yes. something's artistically crafted. It is. There's nothing, nothing bad about this. It's just not Absolutely. my cup of tea. Absolutely, and we're given, we're given Zach that, you know. But I'm, I'm coming from that aspect of the music is the greatest thing, and that's, that's our difference. That's our difference. That's okay. Okay, Zach, can we, can we get into? kind of the I think the biggest thing about this film I want to know if you picked it up this is the first visual album or film based on an album that we are watching where I think the lyrics very literally describe what's going on did you pick up on this at certain points oh uh, certain points certain points yes basically the the whole thing (laughs) this is almost as bad as across the universe so this is this makes it almost like a musical to some extent, right? That's kind of on my repeated viewings these last four days. You know, like I, or the, the second, third time I watched it, you know, when when the, when the little kid version of, of Pink is going through, like, his mother's drawer and finding his father's military stuff, and the lyrics are literally saying that exact thing. Kind old King George sent the mother a note when he heard that the father was gone. It was, I recall, in the form of a scroll, gold leaf dawn. And I found it one day in a drawer of old photographs hidden away. It's like a musical. <laughs> I don't even, I wouldn't say musical. It's like very. Okay, maybe not musical. In general terms, maybe like a jukebox musical. Do you think the musical, a requirement of a musical is that the actual characters have to be singing? Mm, no. Because here, here we have like this narrator that's singing. Like the little kid isn't singing or dancing. You know, do you think that's the distinction? Mm, it, it's, I, okay, it, it's a matter of personal preference. I think that level of thing is, of uh, doing that is very ham-fisted. Okay. I think it sh- instead of like trying to be really creative with it, I think it's just the easy way out. It's like, okay, we need to do this. Well, what's he singing about? Well, this works. Let's just go with it. Mm-hmm. It's it, you get that vibe of the phrase "Let's just go with it" was used many times during this production. Yeah, because yeah, because and I think it, yeah, I think and, and maybe Rob is correct in the way that it's very musical esque because they're again they're singing about what's going on where I don't know because it's because Rob is right because usually when musicals are done. They write the music first, then usually the plot. I don't know. That's weird. I, I don't know how musicals are crafted. That's that's a, that'd be an interesting one for a little bit more research. Definitely, but I get what you're saying with this, where you know, since we know that the the visuals came after the music, I I totally get what you're saying. You know, when the director or the whoever and the producers, everybody sits down, it's like, what do we do 
for this part of the song. Well, let's just do exactly what is being described type of thing. And I don't think that's a detriment, you know, because I really like that aspect of The Wall as an album. You know, I think storytelling in music is a great thing, and Roger Waters and Pink Floyd are great at doing that. Um, it's not a detriment to the film because it's not the entire film. You know, animated sequences when, you know, well, a lot of the, a lot of the, the album is just instrumental to a large degree. Um, a lot of the animated sequences, I think, are a little more abstract. So it strikes that balance well enough for me, where I'm not constantly like, okay, I get it, stop singing about what you're doing and just show it to me. Um, it, it finds that, that balance. Oh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Cause again, it, again I, I don't know how much this is a matter of preference versus whether it's a creative. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. I, I, it's, it's one thing when you're watching a musical, because like let's, let's just take, for example... I don't know. I'm trying to think of a musical that's really uh, popular. That, that, that you can do like, like a, a movie musical. Like Singing in the Rain. Okay. It's, you take Singing in the Rain. Everybody knows Singing in the Rain. You take that, though, and all this, the songs are there to help advance the plot. Or it's mm-hmm. like everything, everything, the songs are tied into a narrative. Everything was created. The plot and the songs were all devised more or less at the exact same time. Yes. This is where the, the music and the visuals are divorced from each other, and the visuals are coming very much after when the music was out there. So you'd think, considering that, you could be a little bit more, and even though it's weird saying this, you could be much more abstract with the visuals. And even though this yeah. does happen, even though th- th- this thing has numerous parts where it is, though, but the, the I think it's the most, uh, com- not comical, but the dear prudence moment is Rob will probably elaborate on <laughs> of this entire thing is with the, we don't need it, need your education and the kids are going into a meat grinder. It's like, yep. like, even though that was probably very, very insightful at the time. Now you look at it and it's like, Oh, please. It's like that, that again. That's, and that's where it has been borrowed from. Cause that's just, it's, it's very, I don't want to say ham-fisted, but it's straightforward imagery that there's yes. no imagination. Like, you know, there is imagination there. It's not veiled at all. And that's mm-hmm. just, I, I don't like it when it's hitting. I don't like it when somebody hits you over the head with something. Sure. And, sure. and never mind the, the, the song is hitting you over the head with that message. The visuals just basically punch you in the face with it. Okay. That's a, that's a great point. I, I agree with you completely. Because it does do that. I think that, you know, while some of the things that occur in this are, you know, the, in the lyrics, in the music are metaphorical, the, the visuals take them and kind of, mold, kind of mold them into something realistic for you to grab onto. And it takes away that layer of symbolism to some extent. Yes, they're doing symbolism with their visuals, but, you know, I, I totally agree that it is basic it's surface level like when the the flower that looks like a penis goes into the flower that looks like a vagina you cannot think anything else right like that is just it is forcing you to kind of into that one train of thought and that could very well very well be what they want or what they wanted when they were creating this but it doesn't leave enough to the imagination to really you know give it that flexibility i think well, the diff well go for it well, I thought again. It goes back to the Elsa Marine. This is a again. This was a film. Mm-hmm. 
And it's, and it's commercial. Like again, yeah. you have to you have to make it give it a broad appeal if you want to make money. If you're going to pour millions of dollars into something, you got to try to get the largest audience you can. I don't blame them for that. I really mm-hmm. don't. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's probably where some. Again, I don't know the specific history behind this, but if I had to guess, I would imagine Roger Waters probably did not like that. He probably wanted probably to be a little more abstract. And in that again, I, I don't know because what's what is the consensus on this? Rob, Rob, you're the one who likes this sort of stuff. What is the popular consensus on this? While I am no Pink Floyd expert, um, of the people I know who love Pink Floyd and are huge Pink Floyd fans, they are great fans of this as well. They are huge fans of the movie. The movie is basically considered part of the Pink Floyd catalog uh, from everyone I've experienced. In terms of mainstream moviegoers or anything like that, I would have no idea. Because honestly, the only people who I've really ever talked to that know about this are fans of Pink Floyd. Hmm. Interesting. So, I mean, yeah, I I think that, you know, I think it took a while for even a Blu-ray copy of this to come out. They had waited till like, some anniversary or something to release a a Blu-ray copy. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know the whole story on that. Um, But, I mean... I think for this specific discussion, you know, where Zach and I are coming from, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. But the big difference is I I feel like I enjoyed it so much because I found this movie very, very cathartic. Like, I I definitely got a a certain feeling. I I feel like I understood, like I put it before. Like, I didn't previously, you know, back when I watched it, you know, six years ago in my undergrad, I got what they were going for this time. And I'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, when we get into some scenes and songs later on, but I totally get what you're saying. This is very, very surface level. You know, there's not much to read into, I think, in a lot of this stuff. Visuals and music that kind of just lay it all out there for us. (laughs) Okay. I wanted to know what you thought about the non-linearity. So, you know, clearly kind of the whole movie we are getting like scenes with the kid version of the of pink scenes with the adult version of pink animated scenes with him um i really like it i really like kind of that you know uh separation of these two two different structures what did you think uh that's one thing you gotta give this movie credit for because non-linear narratives were very rare Again, really, that wasn't until Tarantino that really kind of took that and, and hit the mainstream. Yeah, okay. So that's Good one point. of those. That's one of these uh, things. Oh God, this this is a, definitely an element of this film that again, it probably doesn't get the respect it deserves because it is now again. That's the idea of jumping around in the narrative isn't really a novel idea anymore. Mm-hmm. And plus, you have things like Tarantino who who, who really has perfected it over his career. Didn't think about it until you brought it up, though. But that is something that, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like I said, it's just, I, uh, 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 not to say it's weird <laughs> for the sake of being weird, though. But no, it's it's a interesting element to throw in here. Yes, I I really enjoyed it. Um, I I love the way it's done. I think it matches with the music because the music is set up in such a way that kind of the beginning of the album is an overture to some extent. So it's good to see kind of flashes of everything that's going to happen along with that. But, you know, once again, surface level, that's clearly what, well, what would you do with an overture? Oh, have scenes from the rest of the movie. And, but they kind of keep that going throughout the whole structure of it. And they really use it to their advantage because I really like that in a lot of scenes when they're showing us kind of the adult and the child versions intercut, there's a lot of nice parallels. And that kind of bolsters the, the point, at least I feel I'm getting from a lot of these scenes. 
so right on. Uh, yeah, the the nonlinearity is is quite enjoyable. Um, so I want to also notice if Zach picked up uh, the person who plays our main character, Pink's agent, is Bob Hoskins. Did you notice oh, this? Oh, no, I didn't notice that. So he is only in, I think, like two or three scenes of the whole movie. I, and I, he, I was about to say, he doesn't have a large role. Either. Yeah, he has like these huge sunglasses on, too, I think in like two out of the three scenes, so it's really difficult to see his face. Um, but Bob Hoskins, of course, I know him best. He is the detective, the main character from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And so it's great to see him in, in this. Hot take, I can't stand that film. Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Yeah, I can't stand I that got movie the, at all. I got the nostalgia bug hard because I watched that with my grandma when I was like young as fuck. And so that's just, I don't think I've actually seen it in maybe 10, 12 years, but I just got the nostalgia bug for it. <laughs> Where do you know Bob Hoskins from? Anywhere else? Oh God, Bob Hoskins did a little bit of everything. Yeah, he was all over the place. He's he was one of those faces I feel back in the day that you know, people would see him and not know who he was type of thing, and that's probably how we got this part in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he's well again. He's again uh, mostly Who Framed Roger Rabbit is his most mm-hmm. commercial exposure. Definitely. But again, going another uh, potential cinemati is the Super Mario Brothers movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I haven't seen that. that. I haven't seen that in a long time. That's definitely a cinemodity. <laughs> no, we'll get to it. It's on the list along with Tomorrowland, Mother, Mother. <laughs> yeah, we got a we got a good list. We got a good list going. <laughs> okay, okay. So yeah, Bob Hoskins. I think he's um really the only person I know who uh, has gone on to do something else that I'm aware of, at least. There's not too many other famous, you know, doing air quotes people in this movie. Uh, the main the main actor, the guy who plays Pink, the adult version, Bob Geldorf, he's actually a vocalist for an Irish band. Um, I do not know the name off the top of my head. I think I only know one or two of their songs. Uh, but he's, he's pretty good by himself. And he actually adds some of his vocals to the recorded versions uh, for some of the tracks in this film, which is pretty cool. All right. So something that I've, I, I hear a lot about this movie and something that stood out to me the first time I watched it is kind of all throughout it, there's, uh, I would say, a little bit of gore. I want to know if you agree with me on that, Zach. There are some, I've heard of some people saying that they find this movie difficult to watch because of the gore. And I've never understood that. Uh, we're talking about one scene, right? When he shaves himself. Uh, I wouldn't even call that gore. I, th- I think that, yeah. in, in, I don't know. I'd say more disturbing imagery. I, I, I think people erroneously label gore. They don't know what gore is. And they just figure that's, it's, I, I'd say dis- there's disturbing imagery galore in this. Okay. I agree because, with you. That's cause, a cause really good way stuff, to put it. And there, there is, there is some, I'm not, I'm not disqualifying that there isn't any gore because there is here and there, but I think it's again. You do. You have a bunch of stuff that again. Rob's like, I wonder why my parents will let me watch this. Let me watch Halloween. And <laughs> Rob runs out of the room. And eight-year-old Rob is terrified by Halloween. Yet this somehow, you know what? Eight-year-old Rob. You know what, Rob? At eight years old, your parents weren't spiking your apple juice with hallucinogenics. <laughs> so I don't think eight-year-old you would have appreciated this all that much. <laughs> yeah, this might have been like a yellow submarine scenario. For yes, all, this would have been your, your yellow submarine. Yep. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, actually, good. no, there, there's a lot, like, again, as, as we look through a lot of this stuff, my test is, if I would have watched this when I was younger, this would have spooked me. Yeah, the, the animation can be off-putting it sometimes. 
Um, the vi- I think the the live action stuff I think is rather tame. Some of it, okay, some of it's okay. a little weird at times. Like I said, like my favorite part of this was the whole thing with the train. I liked I liked the train, and you have all the people with like obviously the the blank faces. I, I like that. That was mm-hmm. uh, that was neat. I, I like that. Right on, that right on. Alley. Yeah, um, so I really like the way you put it. Disturbing imagery. That's actually that's perfect way to describe it because I feel like throughout this whole movie, even in the scenes where there isn't an excessive amount of blood, any amount of blood at all, it can still be disturbing. And I certainly found some of those things disturbing. Now, of course, the scene that sticks out with the blood is when he shaves himself, when he, you know, is kind of going crazy and he's all in his own head and he just needs to shave his face and his chest and his eyebrows and cut his hair and slick it back. And, you know, when he's shaving his eyebrows, they don't show it. There's just the shot of the water, like the foamy, soapy water in the sink, and blood like kind of slowly drips into it, and you get the idea of it. That's not gory. That is disturbing, though, because you know what's going on. You know he's just taking a straight razor to his fucking eyebrows and cutting himself while he's doing it. That is disturbing. That's a great way to put it. The end of the movie, you know, when he's kind of, he's naked, and he's banging on the, the wall, like the concrete wall. I find that as really disturbing imagery. You know, the way it's shot, I think, is great and the pacing of it. And it makes me kind of feel anxious because he's just like, you know, what have I built up? That type of thing. So that's a really good way to put it. Better than gore. And that's another interesting point you brought up. People mislabel gore and disturbing imagery. I've never thought about that before. Right on. Okay. Right on indeed. So I guess at this point, um, with everything you said... Could I ask you, everything we both said, could I ask you, just like I did for Yellow Submarine, a plot summary? Do you think you could give a plot summary of what the wall is about? Oh, jeez. That's well, not interesting. yeah, you could sum this up pretty easily. It's about the whole fact of, of Pink and his history going back to a child and his experiences with his father. And obviously, he's having some sort of a, oh, God, there's a term for it, but I don't know what it is. I can't think of it right now, but like having flashbacks or premonitions of what his father went through mm-hmm. his entire thing in the fact and obviously yeah, i read this too but it's pretty obvious in the film he has some sort of a castration fear mm-hmm. yeah you, know, you, you can sum the plot of this up pretty well it's just, again you have a bunch of this weirdness thrown in there. it's again it's, I, I like to imagine this is kind of like a stew uh you have your meat you have your potatoes you have a couple of carrots in there and then somebody dumps in a couple of like limes and lemons for good measure it's like it. It doesn't kill the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe under the right sort of conditions, it could probably <laughs> enhance it. Yeah. But there's some weird things thrown in there just for the sake of. Let's see. Let's just be weird for the sake of being weird. Okay. Okay. So that's fair. I agree with you that the, that the plot, you know, kind of what our character goes through, you can sum it up fairly nicely. Uh, you know, we got him as an adult, him as a child. Things parallel. He goes through kind of his ups and downs of life, uh, dealing with his own sickness, with relationships with his girlfriends, with his mother, with his dead father, all that stuff. Um, Something that, you know, like I said earlier, that I think I want to get to now, is when I first, one of the first times I watched this, I remember asking someone, well, what is it? Like, what is the wall? Like, you know, what is this going for? What is this, like, the point of this type of thing? And like I said, I have no idea what this person said to me. But I feel like I understood. Like, this movie, like I said, touched me in a good place. So uh, after I watched it that first time before this recording, 
I'd started to do some research and I thought, well, you know, of course, with how famous this album is, there has to be an interview or some type of on record material of Roger Waters saying what the wall is about. And the wall, according to Roger Waters, I guess, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know this, like Zach was saying before, he didn't want to know which real scary stories were true or false. It would, it would ruin the show. If you don't want to know what the wall's about, you know, skip ahead. Um, the wall is about uh, dealing with success, dealing with where your life takes you and how you handle the thing life throws at you. And that's kind of a very, a very boiled down version of it. And that's where I kind of want to talk about. One of the things I want to know if Zach picked up on is, you know, what I perceive the wall to be. Before I get into Zach, do you have any thoughts? Would you like to throw out into the ether what you think the wall is a metaphor for or anything like that? Uh, based on what you said, obviously, again, success, mm -hmm. um, the trials and tribulations of uh, being famous. Yeah, like I said, you throw in some weird, weird stuff for good measure. <laughs> <laughs> just to round it out it's like the seasoning right <laughs> exactly except in this case the the seasoning is limes and lemons okay and i love i love limes and lemons <laughs> so so here's the thing i think the the wall while the album might be very well based in that i think the the visuals that you know are added with this film kind of grow on that and a really big part of that is that non-linearity as i said because the whole movie is just kind of we get to see his life as a kid. We see his life as an adult, how, you know, kind of all these things go bad for him in so many different ways and how they stick with him. And he remembers things when he's older about his childhood that mirror what he's going through there and how he handles them. But really, the whole movie builds to where there's the wall. You know, I think there's a turning point of this movie where we have kind of just all this weird stuff happens, as Zach might say, where the weirdness for weirdness happens. But then we get the scene where he kind of freaks out and he starts breaking all the shit in his hotel room. And that girl from the concert is in his hotel room. You know what I'm talking about, that scene? Yes. And he's freaking out. He's, he's crashing stuff everywhere. And then, he, like, the girl just runs away or whatever. And I think the next thing that we get is basically he's taken all of this garbage and trash and broken shards of stuff and he's arranged them on the floor in his hotel room into basically his own little city. And I think that's the turning point for this movie where he realizes that there's this wall around him. And so everything prior to that point is basically saying that everything we do in life from when we're a kid, all these events that we go through, the success that we have, the failures that we have, all these things of people putting us down, building us up, everything. It's all just another brick in the wall. Ha -ha. And it's just building up something that is shelling you off from the outside world. It's telling you that you need to act certain ways to keep getting these responses. And by the time you realize that this is happening and you freak out about it, the wall is too high because that is where we get some of the disturbing imagery I mentioned before, where he's just naked and banging on this concrete wall because it's too high. He's built it up too far and he can't escape it. And that's when the movie, I think, goes into the realm that Zach would call incredibly weird. And he basically becomes a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. So you got to love that World War or the, uh, you know, the Nazi imagery, right? <laughs> Well, I say even I, again, ham-fisted because they're trying. Again, this is what it sounds like: is that he's obviously trying to show 
that he has some level of uh, envy, or not some, but a major influence over his fans. Mm-hmm. And that's being interpreted as some level of fascism and, and uh, dictatorship. Which, again, I don't know how much of this Roger Waters would have said, no, no, no. And, and that's just really getting ham-fisted. It's like, oh, anybody who obviously has a, is a cult of personality or has that yes. is automatically... Ha- it's like, oh my god. There, there's ways of showing that without going directly to, to, to that. It's just it's that sort of imagery. And that's ironic. Another part where I kind of checked out of this was when we had like 45 minutes of the <laughs> hammer going back and forth, marching <laughs> across the field. And I'm like, yes. enough. We, we get it. This should be maybe five, <laughs> ten seconds at most. And we got like a half an hour of it. And I'm like, no, no. It's like somebody needed to get into the editing bay for like a half an hour. Okay, okay. That's See, that's that's fair. Once again, you know, there are better ways to show this. I don't disagree. But once on once again, on these last few viewings, I just felt that, you know, there is a certain layer of it where he has that influence over his fans. I certainly agree with you on that aspect. But on these last few viewings, I honestly took it more as that he was not being this Hitler-like dictator figure for his fans. He was being it for his own mind. I honestly take this as after he has the freakout and he realizes that he has entrapped himself in this wall of his own making that he needs to become an absolute dictator of what he does have control over and his own mind. So I kind of interpreted it a little a little more in that internal way than that external way, I would say. And I, I really, really like that aspect of it because of where it continues to go. Because if we continue on with the plot, after he has the breakdown, he becomes this Nazi-like figure, he shaves himself, all that stuff. You know, we get the comfortably numb where it's kind of like he's just ready to let go, and as he's ready to let go, we got into the end of the album, which is the animated portion, which is the song called The Trial. And I'm sure Zach didn't know it was called The Trial, but this is where we have different animated creatures kind of talking about our main character, and how, you know, he exhibited feelings, and he was never any good as a child, and and stuff like that. And I really love this song, this song is, I think, once again, Zach, correct me if I'm wrong, but you might call this ham-fisted because yes. it's one of the, basically, we are just explaining what is going on. But I absolutely love it. I think it encapsulates, encapsulates everything that this album has been building towards. And at the very end of that song, when they say we find this person guilty, we find our main character guilty of all these things, they say that his punishment is to tear down the wall. And we get a very great part of the album where, you know, the Pink Floyd band just chants, tear down the wall. And I'm sure that's the part, Zach, did you think that went on for half an hour? I think there were some of the. I think that might have been during some of the uh, the hammers going by as well. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, so, I guess, who knows? It's, it's a matter of preference. It's it's up to. Like, I don't know. Some of it seems like I don't know because you think back at the time this was made, the early '80s, things were much simpler. People weren't trying to be too clever. 
And and so again, like I I don't know. I, obviously, I think Rob admits that a lot of this he's projecting on too, or it's or it's his interpretation of it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I don't think Rob's trying to pretend that he knows more than the filmmakers do, or he's trying to uh, put words in their mouth. No, absolutely not. But I, I think I've said it before on this podcast. I will certainly say it again. I love artistic pieces, created objects that are open to interpretation, and you know that you can kind of see in different ways, and I like that not just because it lets you as an audience, an individual audience, understand things in a certain perspective, but it lets you talk to someone else and gain a new perspective. That's just as much of the enjoyability of these types of interpretable artworks as, you know, being able to uh, see it myself. And so absolutely, you know, I have I get Roger Waters was going after success. I'm sure the director of this, Alan Parker, I believe, uh, he had his own kind of interpretation of what, you know, how you should deal with success or how people deal with success. I have my own, and um, and I, I'm really glad to see it, though, in a, in a movie like this. And like I said before, very cathartic, very cathartic. You know, it has all those kind of different, you know, mental aspects that I think uh, – you would talk about when you're talking about success and and how you deal with things that pass through in life. So it was great. I'm probably going to watch it again tonight, Zach. This or this or Tangerine Reef, maybe both, maybe at the same time. <laughs> He's watching them right now, still. <laughs> yeah, my two monitors. I got both of them going. <laughs> okay, okay. I think that you need to. I'm going to rephrase the question. Strike what I just said. Rephrase the question. Which are you more likely to watch again? First, I would say. Oddsack or The Wall? Is, is there a none of the above option? Um, the none of the above option is endless. <laughs> that's what you had to go back to because that's our first one. It's been the longest since you've seen that. <laughs> if I had to rank them, most likely I would go back and rewatch. I don't know. I, okay, I'm tempted to say Odd Sack because it's the shortest. <laughs> well, technically, Endless is the shortest. Endless has like oh five no, that, that, that no, that was there's nothing to that though. It's a guy building stairs. Okay, That's so the, you're talking about like perceived time, not actual time. Yes, no, because I was never <laughs> bored through Odd Sack. There was something always going on in Odd Sack. I was I was entertained by that. Okay, okay. probably Odd Sack, The Wall, and then Endless. Endless is just boring. There's nothing to it. It's it's, it's paint drawing essentially. After my whole explanation of what Endless was for Frank Ocean's career, you don't think you still think it's boring? Again, I like the sweater. The whole time I'm watching, like I want that sweater. <laughs> if it came with the sweater, I'd be much more inclined to like it. Zach, you are you are great, Zach. You are great. <laughs> okay, okay. Odd sack. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear that. I think we need a whole another Endless episode to uh, to uh, so I can explain Endless again to you, and so you have to watch it again. <laughs> What do you think? Oh, dear Lord. Okay, okay. Well, well. I think in terms of the visuals, in terms of the story, I think I've said all I wanted to say. The next thing I would like to go to, unless Zach has any scenes he'd like to point out, maybe we'll voice get to Voice acting. Them. No, not voice acting. The music. I want to talk about the music a little bit more. You ready for that? Voice acting. Voice act. What voice acting is there? There's the There's fucking lady on voice the phone. Acting. There's like the, the the lady on the phone when he calls his when like the main character calls his wife and finds out that she's cheating. Hello. Yes, I collect call from Mrs. Floyd. From Mr. Floyd, do you accept the charge? It's from United States. 
The operator, like that's the only voice actor we get. Other than that, like Roger Waters, David Gilmore. And when has they ever stopped you? I feel like you're asking me for the voice acting now more than I'm ready to do it. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the 45 minute voice acting conversation about unsolved mysteries. See, we have well, oh yeah, Robert Stack every every single time. <laughs> I want to talk about the music because I have not talked about the music enough. Like I said already, I knew about the album. I listened to the album before I watched the movie. I honestly would rank this in my top three favorite albums of all time. I love The Wall. I think it gels. It has some of the greatest music I've ever heard. We'll get into that a little bit. But are you surprised to hear that, Zach? No, not really. No, okay. So I don't usually latch on to the mainstream bands. I don't think I've, you know, we've ever talked about that. Uh, I'm not saying I'm hipster or anything, but you know, I'm not saying like, oh, the Beatles are the greatest thing ever. You know, you know, Michael Jackson's Thriller is the greatest song ever. All that, anything like that. But Pink Floyd, The Wall, I would say it's up there, top three, right along with uh, Silverchair's Young Modern. You know that one, Zach. Of course, uh, Silverchair's Young Modern. It's on my playlist every single day. That is one of the greatest albums ever. And also in the top three is the David Lynch-produced Danger Mouse and Sparkle Horse album, Dark Knight of the Soul. That's a fucking fantastic album. Check that out, everybody. Zach is like, Rob just said so many words to me. <laughs> it's, a bu- it's a bunch of layers just put together. It's, <laughs> yep. That is exactly what words are. So, The Wall, being one of my favorite albums, I have to point out some things on this album so we can get some clips in here. You better believe that I'm going to point out the transition between The Happiest Days of Our Lives and Another Brick in the Wall Part 2. So, Zach might actually know this one. Remember the scene where our main character, the kid version, gets a bullet and him and his friends go and put it on the train tracks? Yes, I and like the headmaster. Yeah, the headmaster starts yelling at him after like the train goes by, and he like the kid like walks out into all the smoke. So that is the beginning of the song, "The Happiest Days of Our Lives," and that's where it actually like sings about the teachers, and that has great lyrics. There's a one of the it's an awesome way Roger Waters sings it. You know, he's like uh, that the teachers would go home every night where their fat psychopathic wives would beat them to within within inches of their lives. And he's talking about how, like, the teachers would go and, and belittle and abuse the students because their wives were abusing them at home. It's a great line. It's delivered perfectly. But pretty much right after that happens, we get a great drum solo. And then another Brick in the Wall Part 2 starts. And I am going on record right here and saying some people are – this is a hot take, Zach. This is a hot take. I'm uh, doing a hot take. Brace, I'm bracing myself. This is the greatest transition in musical history. That's that's my hot take. I think the transition from Happiest Days of Our Lives to Another Brick in the Wall Part 2 is the greatest musical transition.
I know someone, someone out there who listens to this is baffled that I'm not talking about a Flaming Lips transition, but I'm not. Pink not. Floyd. Pink Floyd is number one, and it's on this album. And I love watching this every time you get that transition. It's beautiful. The other thing I want to point out, um, Zach, is a lyric in this album. There is a song, uh, a lyric, sorry, on Another Brick in the Wall, part three. It is actually the first lyric. First two lines of that song are, I don't need no arms around me, and I don't need no drugs to calm me. Did you pick up on this line the first time through? Did this? Did you hear this, or was this? I didn't pick up on it on the third time through. <laughs> okay, so I love this line. For some reason, I think about this line when I wake up very commonly. Like when I wake up and I like have music stuck in my head, I would say there are just so many times I've had this song stuck in my head and that line in particular when I wake up. Interesting fact, right? I think so. What do you think of when you wake up? Uh, Is that too personal of a question? <laughs> Am I crossing the line? <laughs> what, Rob, what are you not crossing the line? I mean, that's... Absolutely true. I've been naked this whole time. <laughs> oh, you know it, folks. So, I mean, but that I, I, uh, that's a common thing. I've, I've had this conversation with other people before. Not to get too off topic, I know Zach is spritzing me hardcore with a battery acid right now. Hardcore. I, I just, I've noticed for many years of my life, the first thing I think of when I wake up is usually music. I have some song stuck in my head. I don't know how that happens. It's not like I think of new music, like I wake up with an idea for a song. I wake up with a song already stuck in my head. And it's not like a song I listened to the day before. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's a song that I like don't remember. And it takes me hours to remember what like, melody I'm remembering. That happened to me like a week ago. It was crazy. It took me like all day. And then I was in a meeting and I was like, oh, oh, it's Sleeping Lessons by the Shins. That type of thing. They got nothing left on which you depend. So in this every So, I don't know if this is some form of schizophrenia or other mental defect, but uh, do you know what you think about when you wake up, Zach? Do you have any answer to that question? Why does this have to do with, with, with uh, Pink Floyd's The Wall? It doesn't! It, that's why I said you spritzed me with the battery acid and I'm going to make it quick, but that's my question. Do you have an answer to this? I abstain. Okay, Zach abstains. Well, I'm asking this for Zach. I plead the fifth. Other people... Don't know either. I've never met Bro, anyone else. How many else. times have you gone to the bathroom in your lifetime? Can you give me an answer to that, please? I want a number. I don't want an estimate. I want a specific number. I want a specific number. What constitutes going to the bathroom? Well, you tell me. Oh, it's up to my definition? Yes. Okay, going to the bathroom is traveling to the moon. Zero. That's how I define going to the bathroom. Is 
every single time I take a trip to the moon and back. So zero. There's your answer, Zach. So what kind of snack do we eat during this? Thank you. That is exactly where I was going next, Zach. This is a tough one. I think this is a tough one. Every time I see this movie, uh, at least in these last few viewings, there's no real uh, food in them. Uh, The only thing I think that I see that I could say is a snack would be cigarettes again, because we get some we get some (laughs) cigarette messages, you know, but nothing about this really makes me think you should eat a cigarette, you know. Um, So what did you think? Did any snacks jump out to you? Yes. Oh, okay, good. I'm ready. Snack master. Edible, yeah. edible flowers. Just the flowers, not like on any type of dish. Just no. Just a platter of flowers, and you don't have sex with them. Mm. Do you know what flowers are edible? Mm, there's there's kinds. There's kinds. Yeah, that, I, I, yeah, that you would use. Like I'm sure there's fine dining restaurants that would use certain leaves of plants that you could eat. Do you know what those plants are by any chance? No. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know why they're... Of, co- of course, you know, you could do the easy spices, like a, a mint leaf someone could eat, a basil leaf someone could eat, but you're talking about, like, a like colorful... Like a garnish. Yeah, like a colorful flower, you know, petal or something like that. And it's very arousing. Mmm, very arousing. Would you have, like, the the male part and the female part on the plate? Well, they're there, but it's up to you, the diner to decide what they do with them. <laughs> Okay, so it's up to them if they want to, you know, perform the intercourse. There so, you go. And what do you think? We could charge $26 for that? At least. At least? We say it's some really rare type of flower, you know, that we had to go harvest ourselves from the Amazon or something. I mean, for an extra five bucks, Rob will come to your table and uh, have them do naughty things to each other. Like a puppet show. Do Why do I have to do that? That's up to, I thought that was up to the... No, for an extra five bucks, you'll do it. <laughs> This is. I feel like this is going to be in higher demand than I'm going to be able to keep up with. It, it's. It to, it, there's many things in the Cinemodities rest and Planet Cinemodities that are special <laughs> order. You got to call ahead. Oh, oh, wait! I just had the idea, Zach. What about this? All of the waiters and waitresses dress up like us, and not not just dress up like us. They have big full-body mascot costumes of us, like, you know, like a Mickey Mouse at Disneyland type of thing. And so we don't have to be there every time. The, whoever's dressed as, like, the Rob person can go and do this sex stuff with the flowers. What do you think? And there's and there's multiples of each of us, so it's not just oh, like, like ones. Oh, yeah. Like, every table gets a Rob and a Zach type of thing. That's and, it's like exa- and it's, like, exaggerated, like, features, too. Oh, oh yes. We would have to hire like uh, caricature people to make these puppets or these big outfits or uniforms, mascot things. I I like that. I like that we're adding a new component to the Cinemodies restaurant, where like you go to Disney, they have like the character like uh, like meals where you can like like breakfast with like Mickey, Minnie, and all them. Whereas with Cinemodies, you get to interact with Zach and Rob, even though they're not there. Yes, yes, and it's going to be something where like. Whoever's at the at the table. This is the worst business model ever, first off, because we have two waiters per table. That can't be good. The Rob character is going to, like, just sit at your table with you and talk about something completely unrelated to your order for hours. And the Zach character or waiter is just going to leave halfway through your order. 
and, and like it's gonna be oh i love it i love the dynamic well, people are gonna well, love this shit oh definitely um what you have to ask though is that with disney like with the characters and costumes they're not allowed to talk so ours are allowed oh. to talk though mm, we'd have to give them scripts or something i think I don't know, there'd be a lot of ad-libbing involved if the Rob walk-around characters allowed to basically just talk off the cuff constantly. I think think that we would just need to get great fucking people who can remember my thousand-page scripts, okay? (laughs) Like, they don't need to go off book, you know? I can just write tons of nonsense down and then just tell them to say that. We can control this. Because I think if we didn't give them a script, the only thing they would say to the, the patrons would be, help me, this is not a joke. Please help me escape. Something like that. We need a way to control what they're saying. <laughs> you need a safe word? A safe word that they can never say. They Okay. Not yeah, not to the maybe to us, not to the customers. The customers need to think that they're there by choice. What's the, <laughs> what's the antithesis to a safe word? I don't know, just doing something? Like taking something by force? <laughs> like literally the absence of a word, right? It would be like if you just like I don't know, execution maybe. What about that? Sure. The Zach walk around character also has a spritz bottle with battery acid that he'll spray yeah. into your he'll spray into your meal. Would that would that kind be of like, like the pepper grinder? I was just about to say that. Essentially, that's the that's the <laughs> cinematic equivalent of the pepper grinder is the spritz bottle with battery acid. So when the Rob walk around character talks too much, you can ask, and the Zach character will spritz it into your food. Oh my god, that's good. I like that. I like that. It'd be like say when <laughs> for the for the battery acid. Oh, that's perfect. The retail space has been purchased. We have like a 60-year lease on this. Oh, dear Lord. We've hired, hired, I'm doing air quotes because we really kidnapped them. People, you know, we have the cooks and stuff. This is going. Have you ever heard heard about... (laughs) Have you ever heard of this restaurant in Times Square that was like open in the late 90s and it ran, I think, all the way to like 2012. It was like called like Mars, like... 3049 or something it was like this underground restaurant in in times square it was like like a rainforest cafe but it was like designed to look like the surface of mars and all the waiters had to wear like alien costumes yes and i've i went there when it did was you over. really and yes some kid in one of my elementary school classes i believe it was like second grade he decided to have a birthday party there and so we went, and I was invited, and so it was like we had, like, chaperones of parents, and we all went down, and we ate there. I was very young, but I absolutely remember it. You get in, like, a spaceship type of thing, which is the elevator to get to the restaurant, and, you know, it looks like an alien land, and everybody's dressed up. I tried to go back once, and I found out it was closed. <laughs> oh, my God. From what I remember, the food was not that great, but, I mean, this was a long time ago, so... <laughs> Is that you what ever, we're going to base the Cinematis restaurant off of? Like, that's, like, the business model? Uh, yeah, but better. Because it's based off of, like, crazy shit from movies. And so that's better than Mars, so, right? So like, Mars combi- is easy. That's easy. So it's a combination <laughs> between a Planet Hollywood and whatever that was called. Yeah, I think it was, like, Mars 2029. I think that's what it was I, called. It's something like that. Yeah, it was definitely Mars and then a year that is not as far in the future as it was back in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Did you ever go? Have you ever been No, there? I've seen pictures of it and I've laughed my ass off. Okay. And the stories about it are hysterical. 
Kids' birthday party. Yep, that's apparently they were having those there. So <laughs> I heard it became like a nightclub because it, it reopened and closed a lot of times, and it, like it would become like a nightclub. That it would go back to being like a restaurant, and like they, I heard stories like they wouldn't pay like half the actors slash waiters. <laughs> like it was a mess. Like I heard like it was a legit mess at the end. What a business model, right? Two waiters per table. Is that what they were doing? You <laughs> <laughs> can only hope. See, they no. I think they overextended. I heard that they were doing three waiters per table. Oh, okay. <laughs> Two is probably the sweet spot, right? Well, we, we have to ask though. If you had to go to like a quote unquote like a rocket ship elevator to get to the restaurant, mm-hmm. well, the Cinemati's restaurant had the same sort of gimmick. Where do you need to get some sort of transit or uh, facade I, transit to get to the restaurant? So, so here's here's my first pitch. This is the this is the first thing I got, Zach. It's just like an antechamber, like a, like a room. So, you know, like you go in one set of doors and everybody like in the party has to get into that little room. And there's another set of doors. The doors behind have to close completely. And before the next set of doors can open, they have to listen to the Cinemodities intro way too loud. <laughs> it's not even an elevator. They're just standing still and they have to bear the fucking like what, 30 seconds of that music. That's what I think. It should be. I would figure you you get is um like a little like like paper cup with like a bunch of different like pills in it, and, and you have to take that. So you'd be like you have to be like there, there's sugar pills, so you won't get a real high. But you're told they're hallucinogenic, so you get to experience the restaurant the same way Rob does. <laughs> I mean, we could certainly like cook mushrooms on our dish in such a way that they would look like they were magic mushrooms. That could be a gimmick. Yeah, that'd be too hard to do when people first walk in. It's gotta be simple. Oh yeah, no one wants just mushrooms when you walk in. You know, no, they want that them. would turn people. They off. want they want something that looks like the research chemicals they have to order on the dark web. I see what you're saying, Zach. You want to go hardcore drug addict over here? Okay. Well, whatever okay. you do, that that that's the, the follower <laughs> following. I've never I've never ordered any research chemicals, but I've heard some stories, man. So we'll have to we'll have to hone in on some of those people if they're still alive <laughs> definitely okay i like it i like it it's it's coming together you know i think we'll have to get the construction crew on the building we've leased out to do some different things but i think we're paying them to work 24 7 so we just gotta like give them a call after this recording so zach you know what's next reverse gremlins intro theme no we gotta talk about whether or not we think this is a cinemonity oh yeah, what do you think, Mister Mister Meh? Cinemonity Mr. late Meh. night list late night movie Cinemonity. What do you think? Reluctant, yes. To both. Yeah, uh, reluctant, yes. To late night movie. Okay. Cinemonity. I don't know. It definitely was doing weird. I don't know because like you look at like I, I the animation's weird, but like Fantastic Planet came before it. Yes. And you can feel, again, once again, the, the reverberations of Fantastic Planet. It's weird. So I'm going to, again, a reluctant yes for both. Okay, okay. I think I'm learning in this series in particular that I have a little bit of a bias uh, towards watching visual albums or musically inspired albums late at night. So, you know, Odsack was, like I said, the inspiration for the late night movies. I've been watching this late at night, and I loved it. Even back in the day, I watched it late at night. Yellow Submarine, even though I think I said no in our episode, I've fallen, kind of, I, I fell in love with that, watching it late at night. 
and you know listening to that music late at night. So I'm going to say yes to the late at night, but Cinemodities, I I kind of think I have to say no. With how popular this album is in terms of musical history, also in terms of how surface level these visuals are, and honestly, I don't think there's too much really weird stuff. It doesn't break that threshold of weirdness for me, I would say. There's just like a splattering of it. And maybe that's because I find so much meaning and catharsis in it that I kind of have my own interpretation, that it isn't weird to me. It's something that kind of makes sense to that. But I'm going to say no to Cinemodity. This is this is kind of, you know, a little... I'm not as bummed to say it as I was about Yellow Submarine, but this is once again a commercial piece of artwork. And for that reason, i got to say no to Cinemodities. So I'm, I'm oh, man. only got one. I only got Odd Sack on, the, on this series. Okay. So anything else you have to say about The Wall, Zach? Any, any other thoughts? No, not really. It's, you throwing it's, it on right now to watch it again? No, I'm watching Spirit <laughs> of the Way right now. Okay, good, good. Uh, so that's acceptable. No, it's definitely interesting, but it's not... Again, I think a lot, of, a lot of things have borrowed from it. Whereas I think Fantastic Planet will still resonate because of just how foreign and just alien it feels at times. This, it's like Rob said, it's weird, but not uh, the craziest thing out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it's good. I, it's well made. It's crafted well. I love the nonlinearity, all that stuff we said. Perfect. The wall. Well, uh, every other at the end of every other episode in this series, I gave a little insight on what we were going to do next. But I think before we started recording, we decided we don't know what we're going to do next, right? <laughs> Chances are it's either going to be R. Kelly or it's going to be Adventure Time. Yes, so a visual album or not a visual album. Or who knows, it might be Tangerine Reef, right? <laughs> so Zach is like, I have no idea what I'm going to get myself into. Okay, well then, we have to answer the age-old question. How do we end this episode? I think we already said how we're going to end this episode. Didn't you say Gremlins theme song again? No. I feel like that's the only thing you ever say, Zach. Gremlins theme song. You're like, Gremlins theme song. Gremlins theme song. Well, since you, since it stood out to you, um, what do we, how do we feel about a comfortably numb in reverse? Let's do it. Okay. I think that'll sound pretty cool. Let's give it a, give it a listen. Is he the touch?